gave you this quote. This was on Sunday. I'll put it up again. Prayer. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. The key to that quote really is true prayer. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It's far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. The first of the tangible encounters that I dealt with, um, I'll move past this, was the encounter of protection. This was what we dealt with on Sunday um, out of Daniel and Again, our, our declaration for that is, I believe that prayer sustains. Say that with me. I believe, I believe that prayer sustains. That prayer sustains. Again, I believe, I believe that prayer sustains. That prayer sustains. Third time. I believe, I believe that prayer sustains. All right. So now we're going to move past this Daniel text that I didn't make it past on Sunday. And we're jumping into our second Encounter, an encounter of healing. Anybody need healing in your life? Yeah. Amen. Healing. And so here's our second declaration. Say, I believe, I believe that, prayer fixes. that prayer fixes. Again, I believe, I believe that prayer fixes. Third time. I believe, I believe that prayer fixes. That prayer fixes. Wonderful. All right, let's, let's jump into this. This is James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 13. Now, again, our declaration is, I believe that prayer fixes. And let me say this. When you want to encounter the God that heals, when you want to encounter him, you have to go into the encounter believing that he heals. Not, not simply believing that he can, but also believing that he wants to. Amen. Second thing you have to do is you have to go into the encounter of healing, believing that healing is a past tense state. What, with his stripes you were. That's what the text says in the New Testament. With his stripes you were healed. Past tense state. Because healing took place on the cross once and for all. Amen? So when we go into that, we have, this is all a matter of faith. We have to go into this with the belief structure that not only can God heal, God wants to heal, and that healing is a condition that has already been paid for for us on the cross. Amen? Now, James 5 is a text, and we're going to look at 13 through 16. James 5 is a text that is popular, but we kind of rush past it. So I'm going to spend time here tonight. Is anyone among you suffering? then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Let's, let's slow, matter of fact, let's go through it, then I'll go backwards. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess 
your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Amen? Let's look at this in the Amplified. Is anyone among you afflicted? That means ill-treated or suffering evil. He should pray. Is anyone glad at heart? He should sing praise to God. Is anyone among you sick? He should call in the church elders, the spiritual guides, and they should pray over him, anointing him with oil in the Lord's name. And the prayer that is of faith will save him who is sick and the Lord will restore him. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. That's messed up for many of us right there, isn't it? Of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its work. Y'all see that? Amen. All right, so let me go back. And we're going to start just right here in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Say the word suffering. suffering. Now the interesting thing about the word suffering is when you dig into this word, this word suffering doesn't simply mean someone who's going through. That's, that's, that's not what this word means. This word suffering means someone who is going through and mentally vexed. So this is the mental turmoil associated with hardship. Is anyone currently under the effects of mental turmoil associated with hardship? Y'all see? Because oftentimes, y'all, when we are in a bad spot of any type, there's a mental fatigue that comes on you when something's going on. Amen? Mental fatigue. Something going on in your life, uh, something going on on your job, something going on with your children, something going on with your finance, something going on uh, in school, something going on with family members. There's a mental fatigue that happens. And oftentimes, y'all, it's not necessarily the situation that takes us out. It's how we feel about the situation. It's the mental burden that we go through based upon the situation that will often put us under the most pressure. The mistake that we make when the mental pressure comes is we keep praying about the problem. Or, watch, we pray about the one who we believe is connected to the mental pressure. Did y'all catch that? So-and-so was getting on my nerves. Right? My coworker crazy. Now, it's interesting because James never says anything about the person who causes the suffering. Because that's irrelevant. The relevancy is, are you suffering? Who caused you to suffer is irrelevant. Okay. Some of us spend too much time focused on irrelevant things. The relevancy, listen, listen, listen. If you're bleeding to death and I'm coming to your aid, do you want to answer questions about how you got shot right there? <laughs> Who wants to answer that question? You shot. You bleed. You about to bleed out. 
Do you have time while you bleed now to say, hey, who did that? Why they do that to you? What was you doing that made them do that? We ain't got time for that. I need you to handle the pain. Amen? Now, so, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone under that mental fatigue? There's, it's, it's interesting how you respond. Then, so your recourse, he must pray. No, 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 no. Yeah, that the one who is suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? He, the one who is suffering, must pray. You under mental turmoil? You going through? You must pray. I was talking to Jamila about this earlier. I said, it would have been one thing if it said he should. Right. He should pray. That'd probably be good. But that's not, that's not, a, there's a thrust there. He must pray. Like this is not something that's just nice to do. If you're going through, you must pray. If you want the fog, if you want the pain, if you want that mental turmoil to come off of your life, then the only way for that to happen, you must pray. And please understand, y'all, that this becomes difficult when you see, like when I look at this text and it says you must pray, only to come face to face with the fact that many of us don't know how to pray. Amen. There's even folk praying that don't know how to pray. Because prayer is, listen to this, learned behavior. I'm going to do it again. Prayer is learned behavior. One more time. Prayer is learned behavior. How you know? Because even the the 12 said, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. If prayer is learned behavior, then that means we don't automatically come into Christian faith knowing how to do it. We just don't. So you don't need to feel bad about yourself because you don't know how to pray. That's not nothing to feel inferior about, but I've been in church all my life. I know a lot of people been in church all their life and they got saved yet. And watch, to learn how to pray, you also have to submit to a teacher. Amen. And prayer is not style. Prayer is content and result. Lord help us. We can't look over the fact that our prayers do have to contain appropriate content. That's that's a cop out, y'all. When, you know, well, you know, sometimes you ain't got nothing to say, so you just... Lord. That's a cop out. Mm, Lord. He know what you mean. That's a cop out. That's a cop out. It is. That's a cop out to learning how to pray. When they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't say, He know your heart. That's not what Jesus said. He said, pray like this. 
It's a cop out. It is a historical misnomer that we can just be like, mm, Jesus, he know what you mean. Stop that. Because the only time that we disconnect, watch, the only time that we disconnect the natural and allow the spirit to pray, well, we don't know what's going on is when we pray in tongues. So how are you willing to moan but think tongues don't make sense? Oh, it done got quiet now. So how can you, mm, Lord, mm, Jesus, mm, but you won't pray in tongues because that's too deep. So, so if, if one is logical, if, he, if you believe he can decipher that, why can't you build up yourself on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost according to you? Never mind. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Now let's get let's get further. Because I know uh, when I was preparing for tonight, this this next little stanza is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praise. I've taught this wrong. I've taught this real wrong. It's right here. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. And the reason I've taught it wrong is the way that I've always taught it is. Like singing praise was what we would normally consider sing praise. But the more you dig into that word for sing praise, in the Greek, it means to sing a hymn. That hymn right there, for them to sing a hymn would have been to sing their prayer. Stanza two is not about singing songs, it's about singing prayers. Hold on. The whole thing is about praying. If anyone among you suffering, pray. If you feeling good, still pray. You can sing now. We still praying in this text. The whole thing is about what James or, or what many would call petitionary prayer. This is the whole thing is about petitionary prayer. If you are under mental fatigue, you must pray. If anyone is cheerful, he is too. Notice, there's, notice that must is gone. Better say he must. Because if you're cheerful, singing, singing your prayer is optional. But if you're suffering, you must. Y'all see the difference? Are y'all with me here? Now, again, this is just stanza one. Here's where we make a mistake. If we're suffering, we talk to somebody else about it. And if we're cheerful, we often make bad decisions. What do you mean, Bishop? It is oftentimes when things are going right in our life that we do some of the silliest stuff. Amen. When you're burdened, when you ain't got no money, when the doctor gave you a bad report, oh, you become, ooh, we fasting, praying, warrior. You wearing them pages of your Bible out. But when you're cheerful, Scripture says, pray them too. Just, you know, you can pray a song. Amen? Let's go further. Is anyone among you sick? Lord have mercy. And as I dug into this, it's funny because, you know, they want to say, well, it didn't really mean physical sickness. No. Um, this meant, you know, somebody who was spiritually disconnected from the body. No, that's not what he meant. 
Because the Greek term here is connected to the same ministry of healing that Jesus used. And so when it says anyone among you sick, this is physical illness. That's called a spade to spade. And I'm going to say this, church. I'm going to say this. And this thing, this verse right here is burdening me greatly. I'm going to say this. We keep running away from the Bible's teaching on healing and miracles because we're failing at it. So we want to redefine what we're not doing right. Instead of owning, we ain't doing it. Amen. We want to redefine it. The Bible says this. Well, it didn't really mean that. Why? Everything that we ain't doing, we want to say the Bible don't mean. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, for instance, when it says, greater work shall you do than these. We, oh, he didn't really mean greater. That's not what he meant. There's no way that he meant greater. No, he meant greater. The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these. Well, he really meant that we would cover more territory. Why do we want to redefine what we do not want to accept? It's like when I talk to somebody about their marriage, and their marriage is going bad, and then they go all the way back to the beginning, and they say to me, Elder Leela, well, the Lord never intended for us to be together. So now you got revelation that y'all was never supposed to be together all because 10 years in you having a hard time. Y'all made each other broken. Come on. And now you believe that you have grown a little bit quicker than him or her and now all of a sudden you ready to call it quits because you are so spiritual and they're not. Y'all met in the club sitting. Okay. Is anyone among you sick? Physical ailment. That's what we got going on. And let me tell you, this spirit of infirmity, this nasty demon called infirmity is trying to wreak havoc in the body of Christ. Amen. And here's where it gets me. He must. There go that word again. <coughs> okay, y'all. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must. Y'all see that? <coughs> Let's go back forward. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must. There go that word again. He must call for the elders. He must call for the elders. Say elders. Come on. Say elders. He must call for the elders. And it's funny because that word elder does not mean simply the mature ones. Huh? I've heard it taught like that. He's supposed to call for the people who are spiritually mature. No, that's not what James said. He didn't say call for the ones who are mature. He doesn't even say call for the ones who are older. This word here, elder, is the word presbyterios. He means call for the presbyters. He means call for those in the church who are holding the office of elder. That's what he said. That's what he means. So that means everybody under the sound of my voice that is elder, so-and-so is required to be able to do this. That's what James said. He's to call for the elders. And let me tell you something about the eldership. While I'm on it. 
The eldership. There's only, there's only three terms for, for, for our, our church government. You have diakonos, deacon. Presbyterios, presbyters or elders. And you have apostolos, apostles or what we would call bishops. That's it. Everything else we made up. Y'all with me? Come on, I'm going to keep working here. Where the scripture says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, that's in Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If a man desires the office of a bishop, all right, you got to go there because that word is not apostolos. That word is a word that we often get overseer from, which is actually synonymous with elder. Oh boy, here we go. So that means that everybody who's sitting here, if you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, the requirements of the elder are the requirements of the overseer in that text. That's us. And what has happened, y'all, in the body of Christ is we have folks who have titles but can't function. Because the Bible says that when the spirit of sickness is in the house, they should be able to call for somebody who is walking around with one of these full collars on. That's the job of the eldership. Look, they are to pray. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me go back. Because that verse got me messed up. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Who? Anyone sick? He must call for the elders. They are to pray. Let's go back. Anyone among you suffering, he must pray. Anyone cheerful, he's to sing praises. Anyone among you sick, he must call for the elders. And his job, the sick one's job, is done then. And the elder got to start doing the prayer. Y'all not in the room. I'm going to keep going back and forth between these slides until I feel relief. Is anyone among you suffering? The person suffering has the responsibility to pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? The one who is cheerful has the responsibility to sing praise. But when they get sick, their responsibility is to make a call. The elder's responsibility is to be able to pray. Yes. Suffering is a mental turmoil. Suffering is when the burden of their circumstance is weighing on their mind. You can be healthy and mentally fatigued, right? But when I get to verse 14, I'm dealing with physical sickness. You with me? Now, suffering can lead to physical sickness if not dealt with, right? We call that stuff like ulcers, right? Even heart disease, right? There's, there's a major argument that I've heard that, that, that even cancer can take root when worry is present. Come on, somebody. And we act like mental health don't need to be addressed in the church. Now, once they get sick, all of a sudden James says, now, the person who's sick, you got one job. Call for somebody who's been appointed to a particular position. Call an elder. Y'all hear what I said? The Amplified said, call for the church officer. Call for an elder. Tell that elder you are sick. 
And let me say this while I got everybody in the room. Everybody's good and listening. I can say this, you know, praise God. Um, but let me say this. As the bishop of this house, the one held responsible. If you go to an elder who is sick and that elder don't want to pray for you, then you need to come see me because something wrong with their eldership. Amen. Something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. We don't need title holders. He must call for the elders. They are to pray. The elders. Let me tell y'all something about 1 Kings. In 1 Kings, you got David. David gives it to Solomon. Solomon ends up tearing it up with the foreign women. Amen. Now you got a downward spiral of the kingdom. And in the midst of that spiral, the Lord said, you keep appointing elders that I didn't tell you to appoint. Some of the reason that the kingdom is wrecked is because you've given people office who aren't officers. I tell people, listen, 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 people of God, right here, right here. Uh, I believe the, I believe his name is John G. Lake. Great healing minister. Wonderful miracles attributed to his name, much like Smith Wigglesworth. And when you would come to John G. Lake and you would say that you want to be connected to him and you wanted to take on his mantle, it was real simple. He'd go find somebody sick and pair you with them and said, until they get healed, you, you're not called. He went as far as he said, go home with him. Go home. Keep praying till something change. He said, because we need results. They are to pray. Bishop, why, why are you hammering this verse so hard? I'll tell you why I'm hammering it. i tell you why I'm hammering it. Verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith. What's the next word? Is anyone among you sick? He's to call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith. Next word again. So if I'm sick and I call for an elder, and I've been reading this verse, and the reason I call for an elder, because I've been reading that verse, and that verse tells me that that prayer will restore. And I don't see restoration. Who am I supposed to be mad at? <laughs> Come on. Y'all like to make real questions. That verse said, we'll restore the one who is it. Amen, amen, amen. Now we can say that there is a difference between healing and the miraculous. There's something completely different in there. There's the gift of miracles. We're talking about someone who is sick, someone who is ill, who is still should be in line for healing, which is procedural. Miracles are something completely different. A good friend of mine, good friend of mine, uh, Bishop McNeil, Bishop McNeil was talking and he, he, was, he was ministering on the differentiation 
between healing and miracles. And one of the ways he put it was very profound to me because I always talk about how a miracle goes around the natural progression of healing. So, for instance, um, if you have a cold, the natural progression of healing is a cold can be over in a couple of days. That's a natural progression of healing. Y'all with me here? A miracle says you come in with a cold and instantaneously that cold is gone. That's miraculous. You have circumvented the natural progression of healing, right? That's miraculous. Take that a step further, though. There are, there are documented miracles where there are people who didn't even, they don't even have the stuff to be healed in their body and get healed. That's a miracle. Huh? I'm, I'm talking about when I laid hands on a woman who had one leg shorter than the other and I tangibly pulled the leg out even. Huh. And she stood up with two even legs. That's miraculous. That's different than healing. The leg, the leg didn't over time get better. You know, I wasn't praying for the surgery to be right. I grabbed her leg and pulled and came out. Freaked me out. I'm serious. Because sometimes God wants to use us and show us what's in us before we believe that it's in us to use. Amen. And watch. What God graces you to do in a moment, he doesn't have to grace you to do always. Oh, let me sit there for a second. So when he graces you to do something in a moment, you need to take that for what it is, grace and mercy, and then begin to train for the consistency to be able to do it always. Are y'all with me in the room? So the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Now, it doesn't say that the elder raises him up. The Lord will raise him up. Y'all see that? This is very important that the Lord raise them up so that we don't get arrogant. Amen. Now, okay. Turn to Mark, please. It's not going to be on the screen. But I, I need, I need y'all to see something. Just because see, sometimes we start talking about things like infirmity. We start talking about things like infirmity and we go, ooh, that's only for special people. We in Mark 16. Let's look at Mark 16, 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. They drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. Y'all see that? They will 
they will. Not they will and they might. Y'all see that? That's the, that's the end part. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Well, Bishop, I'm not ready. That's too deep. Okay, turn to Hebrews. Hebrews. And let's look at, we're going to start at chapter, I'm sorry, this ain't on, on my slides, but I need to prove a point. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's start chapter 6. If I got to go back over. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again, say again, again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Stop right there. Those are six things right there that literally the writer of the Hebrews is saying is foundational. He doesn't even consider them things deep. Look at it again. Leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So those six things after that are foundational. As a matter of fact, let's go backwards just a little bit. Verse 12 of chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. 6-1. Therefore, y'all see that? So 6-1 leads from chapter 5. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles. So those six things that, that I just read at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6, right there, those are six fundamental, foundational doctrines that everybody should have a command over. And one of the fundamental, foundational doctrines that all of us should have a command over is the laying on of hands. Why? Because Mark chapter the 16 says these signs shall follow them that believe. I as a believer not an elder, not a deacon, not a bishop, a believer should be able to lay hands on the sick. It's fundamental. It shouldn't be deep. It shouldn't take no extra classes. It comes in my believer package. This ain't an upgrade. This ain't premium. Ain't the sports package. Don't need to pay no more for it. These signs follow them that believe. But here, people of God, here is where we have failed, where I have to say that I'm doing, doing, trying to do so much better in building this culture. Listen, we haven't heard this, this thing to the point. Listen to me. Listen to me really close. We skipped over these fundamentals. We skipped over these fundamentals. And we wanted to jump into all this deep stuff. Then when our lives are in shambles, we like, whoo, why my life in shambles? Because we haven't taught each other the fundamentals. Because you ought to be able to lay hands on your kids. On your spouse. Should be arguing with your kids. Arguing with your spouse. 
glory. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. But we got lights, fog machines. This is a fundamental. Are y'all with me here? of faith will save the one who sinned. The Lord will raise him up. Now, if, 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 if y'all, people of God, if we don't want to simply get to the place where we rejoice over healing, what about the rest of the verse? And if he's committed sins? If he's committed sins? Do y'all see that? If he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. You mean to tell me that I can I can lay hands on somebody and the Lord will start working with their sin? See, we try to do a whole lot, but this is what the scripture says. I can lay hands on somebody. And the Lord will go to work on that sin. We only lay in hands when we want to appoint. We want to confer. But we got to be able to lay hands when we want to deal with somebody's sin. We want to deal not only with their sickness, all of their... I want, I want you to be healed from your physical infirmity. And I want you to be healed from your sin. Now maybe that's not your soul. But I'm trying to get free. I want the people in our culture to be free. Amen? Why would you want to go through life bound up? Confess to one another. This is the Amplified. Therefore you're false. We don't like this part. Ain't none of that been there. This ain't none of that been there. between me and God. Really? Really? 
The condition of your soul affects people. So why would you keep lying to the people who are being affected by the condition of your soul about the condition of your soul? If my brokenness is detrimental to you, why do I keep lying to you about the true state of my brokenness? My brokenness is causing my poor interaction with you. And I keep lying about that poor interaction and trying to make it you? And let me tell you something about lying. The devil, according to the scripture, is the father of lies. That word father in the text is where we get our English word progenitor. Which means there is not a lie that does not originate from a demonic source. The concept of white lie is very wrong. There is no lie that does not originate from a demonic source. So if you tell any lie, you've given the devil access to the fruit producer called your mouth. If death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, I can't lie with anything else other than my mouth. My mouth is required to lie. Come on in here. So why would I give up access to my fruit producer to a devil? Here, devil, you can have my mouth. Just for a moment. Because it's just a white lie. Amen. Go. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Sure. Did God tell them to, or did they choose to? See, sometimes we do what we think is best. And just because just because something turns out well doesn't mean that God was in our method. You with me? We see, matter of fact, watch. You have Jacob and Esau. Both of them was foul. Nowhere are we going to look at one and say, because it turned out good, their actions must have been good. Matter of fact, even when you got Lot, you have Lot who's willing to give his daughters away to the men in order to protect the angels. We can't look at Lot's action and say, look how holy Lot was protecting them angels, as if the angels needed protecting. Because at no time did the angels say, ooh, we scared Lot, help us out. Right? What you see is Lot stepping in and you see the scripture allowing us a glimpse into, watch this, the frailty of humankind. Because the angels, matter of fact, when Lot's going through his whole thing, ends up striking everybody with blindness, bringing him into the room like a fool. So we got to make sure that we don't attribute when the scripture shows us 
those type of circumstances as that is God's best. Because David sleeps with Bathsheba. Right? That was not God's best. But guess what kid they end up having? Huh? Solomon. He ended up being all right till he what? <laughs> really? I mean, Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. I mean, he is doing real, real, real good till he what? And that till he what? Happened real fast. Here's the issue. Watch. David, because here's what the scripture does show us. Sometimes I believe, from my reading of the scriptures, that the scripture continues to maintain the frailty of humankind so we can see where the frailty leads. Because David prepares him with money, prepares him with army, prepares him with wisdom, but didn't prepare him about a woman. And what ends up happening to Solomon is he fell to the same issue that his father failed to because his father failed to prepare him for the fault that he had fallen down on. Had David said, because listen, the last conversation David has with Solomon, it's about a conversation. This dude mean you no good, get it. This dude, I'm pretty cool with him. Leave him alone. This dude over here, he coming for you. Be careful for him. This dude over, I mean, he was laying it out. Never said a word to him about the women. Because sometimes we get so strong in what we've been delivered from that we fail to tell the story of what we've been delivered from. Just because you're walking in your delivered state, that does not mean that you ignore your pre-delivered state. Because your pre-delivered state is actually the material for your testimony to help somebody not fall into that pit. Because just because you passed the pit don't mean the pothole ain't still there. Please remember leaders in this room, there are people trailing your car and the pothole that you avoided didn't get filled in because you passed it. Okay, okay. Thank you, Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? Just because you're 20 miles up the road from the pothole, if you love the people trailing you, you should call them and say, there's a pothole 20 miles behind me. Allowing, right, allowing them to fall into it is actually negligence on leadership. Your slips, make sense? Slips, false steps, your offenses, your sins, pray also for one another. Confess, pray. Confess, pray. Confess, pray. Are you mature enough to hear somebody's confession and not judge them? Are you mature enough to hear somebody's confession and not post about it? Are you mature enough to hear somebody's confession and treat them the same after they confess? Because the answer is no to any one of those things. Are you Christian? I'm just not there yet. See, we got to be careful with that. One. We got to be careful with that. One. I'm just not there yet. Gotta be careful with that. Because how are we starting to allow people to be almost Christians? Yeah. Are we? Or are we not? 
That's like, I'm almost black, y'all. Almost. I'm still working on it. Still, I'm still working on it. It's, it's, it's coming in real nice. Still got a couple areas around my elbows. It ain't quite there. Almost. Either I am or I'm not. Correct? Why don't we see Christianity as the same? Tell the truth about the stuff you just don't do. Or just say, I'm not. Here's the thing. Nobody's forcing you to be a Christian. Nobody. I want everybody to be saved. I really do. I want everybody to come to the knowledge of love of the Son of God. Nobody's forcing that. And we do more harm telling people we're saved when we're not. We, we, we tear people up. Going around telling people we're Christian. Still drunk. I thought you was Christian. I am. I love God. Or any other number of fallacies that we commit. Heard someone just today, I'm going to leave his name out of the picture. Heard someone today who said, you know, that their lifestyle is clearly unchristian. But today, before national audience, they made sure that everybody knew that they were a man of faith. <coughs> that they were Christian. You sure? <laughs> Confess your, to one another, therefore your faults. Your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. Pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest heartfelt continue. The earnest heartfelt continue. Hmm. The earnest heartfelt, uh oh, that's what continue. That's the problem. Prayer, not gossip. The earnest heartfelt continue prayer, not complaint. The earnest heartfelt continue prayer of a righteous man, not a man just, just as messed up, not caught. Because some of us is in just as bad a shape as the people you're talking about. Just because your sin is in a different area doesn't mean that your sin is not seen by God. Stop looking and saying, I don't do that. Therefore, I'm better. Amen? Now, sin is a choice. Sin is not the foregone conclusion of a Christian existence. You can be free from sin. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I'm writing these things to you that you will not sin. Scripture says, and if you do sin, you have an act. So in other words, it was his intention that we would quit. That's his intention. His intention. Stop it. If you do sin, Got something for that. Not my intention that I keep having to give you the shot. But if you do, that's important. 
Amen. Nobody wants to get contaminated just because there's an antidote. Who wants to do that? There's a, there's a movie, and I'm not gonna cry. Me and Jimmy love this movie. It's called The Rock. I love it. Man, Sean Connery. They out there on Alcatraz, and they're trying to stop these crazy boys with these rockets. Rockets got some, some nerve agent in them. So, man, Stanley Godspeed. Yeah, that's his name. So he has the antidote. Problem is that the antidote will keep you alive, but in order to in order to give yourself an antidote, you have to put it in this big old huge needle and stab yourself in the heart. The needles about this here long, and so if you get contaminated by this nerve agent and you want to live, you literally. Have to if you want to live. So, needless to say, he spent the whole movie trying his best not to get contaminated. He was doing everything within his power. Like, well, what I'm telling you, what I'm not trying to do is touch that bad. Near the end of the movie, he didn't quite make it. To the end of the movie, he got a little contaminated on him, found himself dying. So it's amazing how death will cause you to do what you said you could never do. He reached down and grabbed that there needle. You can tell he was thinking about it for a minute. He only thought about it for a second. If I want to keep living. Here's the thing about you see when you're in repeated habitual sin? It's a different side. See, that's the Lord God. Not Savior. That who says, it's going to hurt, but it's going to heal too. I got you. It's going to be a little pain to this. See, we got to teach all of Jesus. Who wants to keep doing that? Don't we want to have wonderful conversations with the Father? I'd rather talk to Jesus about some other things. Huh? Lord, give me my destiny for tomorrow. Give me strength for my journey. You know, let's have those type of conversations. Lord, you know, show me what to say to my kids. You know. After then, I done messed up and I need that antidote again. I know I just got it last night, but it's been 24 hours. Does it make sense to anybody? Let me pray. I'm out of, I'm out of time. Y'all learn something tonight? Yes. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge. Lord, you're taking us somewhere. Trying to build this culture. 
building a culture of prayer, building a culture of accountability, building a culture, God, where we love each other, pray for each other, where we cover each other, not when we make excuses for each other, but Lord, when we are trying our best to pull each other out and into. Lord, help us make the decisions ourselves first. Because God, I recognize that two people in a pit have a hard time getting each other out. So Lord, show us where we stand so we, God, can make decisions for our life and then help us.